Thank you. Let's just pray for Phil. Let's stretch our hands and just bless him. Yeah, Father, we just we give you thanks for Phil, God. We thank you for everything, God, that you're doing in this man's life. The blessing he is, God, has been and to come, Lord. We thank you, Father, for the word that you've given him today and placed on his heart. Yeah, God, I just pray for a fresh anointing and blessing on him this morning right now. I pray, Father, that he would preach with fire, fire from your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray, Father God, that, yeah, you would touch our hearts, God. Touch our hearts. That there would be a shift in the ground, Father God. Give us ears to listen, God, to receive and to act, Lord, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Bless you. <laughs> Is the dog all right? Yeah, I've got to make sure the dog's all right. <laughs> Sometimes when a preacher brings a message, he asks the congregation or the audience a question. Never seek to answer the question. Ever. It's a word of warning, whether you take it or not, it's up to you. The temptation is to answer his question. Treat every question a preacher says as a rhetorical question. He doesn't want an answer. Even though the answer might seem very simple and obvious... It's going to be different, isn't it, from what you think it is. So I've warned you, don't make that mistake ever again. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why? I say, I know that. That's an obvious question. He went to the cross to die for my sin. That through that act of sacrificial death and the shedding of the blood, that I could be saved. That's not strictly true. I could say that is a byproduct of him going to the cross. See, we think like that because it's us. We think, what does going to the cross mean to me? We are often the centre of our world. And so we look at things in the way that it will affect me. Of course, I understand that. And that's why we would say, what does the cross or why did Christ go to the cross? He did it that I might be saved, that I might have an eternal place with Almighty God. But that's not the primary reason why he went to the cross. He went to the cross because his father wanted him to. Get it? The centre of the universe is the Godhead. And if Jesus did anything for any reason, he did it in obedience to his Father. And we benefit because he was obedient 
to his father. We live in a world where love, we think of it in terms of feeling. How I feel about this. And that fluctuates from day to day. The love that we read about in the Bible, in the Word of God, there is feeling in it, there is emotion in it. Of course there is, there's always feeling and emotion in love. But the thing that gives the love in the Scripture strength and steel and power and force is obedience. Love without obedience does not appear in the Word of God. There needs to be more obedience in our love than feeling in our love. So what Jesus said in John 14, 31, I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. That's it. Everything he did and said and was, was in a response to what his Father desired him to do. That word command is very strong. It might throw up the idea that God is commanding Jesus to do maybe things that he doesn't want to do. But it's not that. It is a strength that we could say was a command. But God simply says to the Son, this is my desire. And that becomes, in his ears, a command from his Father. This I must do to satisfy the desires of my Father. Daphne knows this only too well. Philip, this is what I would like. It's a demand on my soul that is a delight for me to bring about. It should be, shouldn't it? We laugh, but that's true love, isn't it? There is no sacrifice in love. Yes, Jesus was a sacrifice for the sins of the world, but he never considered himself sacrificing anything because he loved to do the will of the Father. He didn't feel it to be a sacrifice. And he loves you this morning. And when he went to the cross, yes, he was a sacrifice, but he didn't feel he was making a sacrifice because he was fulfilling the command of his Father that he was to die for everyone in the world. This is part two of a sermon. Uh, Some got it on Good Friday morning. I haven't preached at Oldfield for about 10 or 12 years. I was invited this year, maybe because I'm on my way out. I don't know. (laughs) So I'm sorry, this is part two. Part one was preached on Friday morning.
But you know, sometimes we sit down to watch a play on the television, and sometimes it's in two parts. I'm always angry when it's in two parts. Mildly angry, let me say. <laughs> because I either missed the first part because I wasn't watching it last week, or I know that next week I'll forget that it was on and I'll forget to watch the second part. I need to give you a brief recap. Just a brief recap of part one of this story. I chose to reflect upon the time that Jesus spent with his apostles in that upper room. In John's Gospel, he covers it over five chapters. The whole dialogue, the whole thing, everything that took place, the atmosphere, the pressure that Jesus felt upon himself. We examine that together on Good Friday morning. The atmosphere in that upper room you could have cut with a knife. He was meeting with his apostles for the last time. He would never meet with them again. He knew the trauma that they would go through when he died. For three days and three nights, they would be in agony because everything they had built their life on would be ripped away from them and they would be void. They wouldn't know what to do or where to go or what to say or anything. He had to comfort them, encourage them. It says that evening, that evening, the evening meal was being served. This is in John 13 and verse 2. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. So not only the sense of grief that he had to contend with, with his own, but Satan was in that room working in the very heart and mind of Judas himself. And it goes on to say, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. What on earth does that mean? It means this. Everything in the universe, and I literally mean the whole of the universe rested on the shoulders of Jesus that night. If Jesus would not fulfill the call upon his life in obedience to his Father, in other words, if he ran away or fell at the last hurdle and didn't go to the cross, the whole of the universe would have disintegrated into a billion particles of dust, never to be reconstructed ever again. And why do I say that? Because God would have failed. <laughs> it's unthinkable. Of course it's unthinkable. But it was possible. Because Jesus chose. 
in the same way that you choose. The weight upon you to choose what God wants might be really strong, but in the end, I believe that you do choose what you want to believe. We read the events. He washed feet. They had a meal together. He dealt with his betrayer as he sent him out of the room. And then for five and six hours, he spoke. He taught. He encouraged those 11 men that were left behind in the room. It's amazing that there was so much on him, but his focus was on the 11 because they would be devastated come tomorrow evening their world would have fallen around them I encourage you to read those chapters John chapter 13 to 15 go over into the next two and read about this whole event that took place That is a great luxury to have five chapters of the Bible dedicated to that small passage of time. I find he's constantly encouraged in them. Fear not, he says. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Fear not, he says. Where I go, I will prepare a place for you. Fear not, he says, again and again. Be encouraged. Be of good cheer. I will not leave you alone. I will be coming back. It's only a short period. Not that they understood what he was saying. So there were constant words of encouragement. But I see something else peppered through the whole of his conversation that evening. It was the word command. He had been commanded to be obedient. And in his comforting words, he's constantly saying, I command you, I command you, I command you to be obedient, to be obedient, to be obedient. Why? Because in our obedience, the blessing of God enters in our lives. And in our disobedience, we get nothing from God. I find that love and obedience are wedded together. It wasn't simply love that took him to the cross. But it was obedience that was the steel inside the love of God that took him to the cross. And he says, listen, If you are to love like I loved, you will need the steel of obedience in your life, or you won't make it. I've heard some people use the expression, I love you but I don't like you. (laughs) I sort of struggle with that. I don't struggle with it anymore. I love you. I love every one of you because God has commanded me to love you. And I will be obedient to my Father if I possibly can. 
So you can be assured of this this morning, that I love you. And if my love is worth anything, I would die for you. So we won't know. We probably won't put that to the test. See, many man has laid down his life for his brother. Millions of medals have been cast and given to men who have laid down their lives. We've had two world wars where hundreds of thousands of men and women laid down their lives for people they didn't even know. No, I love you. I don't always like all the things you do to me. I don't like everything about you. See, it's different. There is a strength of steel that goes through love. The other stuff, whether I like you or not, is this filio stuff that changes from one day to the next. If you're not sure, just buy me a nice big present and you'll find that my filio changes. (laughs) Write me a cheque and you'll find that my filio is different today than it was yesterday when, when you thought I was rude to you. But this love of God... The love that Jesus had was rooted in obedience to his Father. That's why he went to the cross. He washes their feet. I've read this. I love discovering things for the first time. You know what I mean, Dave? I've read it for ages, years, decades. I've got this verse down. And then God says, let me show you something different. And I'm thinking, how dumb can you be, Philip? We understand the word of God because God reveals it to us by his spirit and for no other reason. Intellect will never determine what the word of God says. Never. was just before Passover. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to his Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And he washed their feet. That was no way the full extent of his love. It was the start of 24 hours when they would appreciate the full extent of his love. He started with the washing of the feet and it ended dying on a cross. That was the full extent of his love without a shadow of a doubt. So he washes their feet, each one of them, and he says to them, Now, you go do likewise. Done any feet washing lately? (laughs) What does it mean to wash feet? I understand it can mean wash feet. I get that. And I have done some feet washing in my time. Churches do it from time to time. They thought this is a nice thing to do. But to wash feet is to 
is to kneel down to take the position of humility to be prepared to take that which is possibly unclean of another person and to use your hands or a cloth to wash that away from them and to bless them. Ever had your feet washed? It's awkward. You want to say, you don't need to do this. Get up. There is blessing in the humbling of oneself in the service of others that they might be exalted because you have taken a lowly position. Why did Jesus do it? Because his father commanded him to. He only did the things his father commanded him to do. Before he went to that meal, the Spirit of God said to him, you want to wash their feet. And he never questioned it for a moment. He says, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Well, he was talking to them, you say. Of course he was. No, no. He was talking about himself. He said, I am not greater than my master who is my father. And I am a messenger sent from my father. And I first submit myself to my father. And in my submission to him, I bring glory to him. As I said through the night, he kept reminding them that they would need to be obedient. Obedient. Obedient to his word. If you know in any way you are not being obedient to the word of God, can I encourage you to stop so that the blessing of God might flow in your life? He said, if you wash the feet, you will know the blessing of God. It's just by being obedient, not by washing feet, but everything that he has commanded us to do. The blessing flows from obedience. In 14 and 15 he says, If you love me, you will obey what I have commanded. In 14.21 he says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. 14 and 25, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. And the converse to that, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Of 15.1, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in your love. Do you remain in the love of God? It's very simple. You simply do the things he asks you to do. The Christian life is easy. You wake up every morning and do the right thing. That's easy, isn't it? All through the day you've got choices to make, and you get up and make the right one, and you do it all the way through the day till you go to bed. Then you get up the next day, and you just do the right thing. And when you're doing the wrong thing, you stop. That means you repent. It's not saying sorry necessarily, 
but you start doing the right thing. That's it. That's it. Sometimes sin overtakes you. I get that. But as soon as you see it's overtaken you, slow down. Get it right. Do the right thing. All blessings from God, even what we know, come through being obedient to him. Do you want to know the will of God for your life? It is so simple. People say, I want to know the will of God for my life. Oh, it's so easy. How do you make it so easy, Phil? Because the Bible's made it easy. This is what you do. To find what is the good and the pleasing and the perfect will of God, you present yourself on the altar of sacrifice. You lay down and die. I'm glad you made it so easy. I can't say it's anything else. While you are making the decisions in your life of what you will do, you will never know the will of God. He will not tell you it. It's only through a sacrificial giving of oneself does he then reveal the will of God. It's as simple as that. Let's leave the upper room. It's midnight. They have spent five, six hours talking, eating, fellowshipping, listening to Jesus, being encouraged, trying to take on board everything that he says. And so they sing and pray and they go out. They go down into the valley to the Garden of Gethsemane. They've been there many times to pray. That's their prayer point. So he says to the eight, you stay here, sit here and pray. I will take these three and we will go a bit closer into the garden and we will pray alone. It says that Jesus was in earshot of the disciples, the three. They could hear what he was praying. One of the gospels says he was a stone's throw away. It's just a few feet. He says, pray, and I'll pray over here. And they can hear his prayer. He says something like this, yet not as I will, but as you will. It's not my will, Father, it's your will that's the most important thing to me. The pressure from the satanic is so much on them that he doesn't want Jesus to be assisted in any way and so they fall asleep. Jesus turns and sees them. Anything like me, they probably would have been snoring. He comes and he says, come on, watch and pray. Watch and pray with me. Watch and pray with me. He goes back again. And he almost says the same things. They must have heard it because they recorded it. Your will be done. It's your will, Father, that's important to me. They're sleeping. Goes back again. He doesn't bother to wake them. Goes back again to pray. And it says he prayed the same thing. 
I've looked at these prayers. I saw something fresh and new. As Jesus is praying to his Father, he is not petitioning him for grace and strength to see this ordeal through. He is praying a prayer of affirmation. He says, I know your will for me and I will do it. Have you ever prayed prayers of affirmation? Or do you simply keep petitioning, petitioning? See, when you know what the will of God is for you, you can go and pray prayers of affirmation. Father, this is a real bunch that you've given me. But I will love them. I affirm your will for my life. I will see this thing through to the end. See, God has called me. He has appointed me with a ministry. I don't have to ask him. I simply have to affirm what my ministry is. Then he says, by the way, if on this appointment of which I've given you, and you want something, need something, require it, just ask me and I'll give it to you. He's not talking about asking him for anything and you can have it. Of course he's not, you knew that. It's about in the fulfilment of the appointment that he has placed us in. His prayers were positive, affirming. I take you now to the cross. Jesus had a harrowing night. For when they ripped him away from the disciples, the apostles, He was on his own. He did this on his own. He was taken before Annas and Caiaphas, taken to Pilate, taken to Herod, taken back to Pilate, flogged, beaten, mocked, insulted, all through the nine hours of that night. And at nine o'clock in the morning, they drag him out to crucify him on a hill. What gave him the strength to do it? The love he had for his father. But that love had the steel of obedience through it. He was not going to back down one bit. How steely are you? How steely are you? Is the love that you have a love that is based on emotion and feeling and how it grabs you that day? Are you up and down in your emotion? Or is there steel that goes through? That even when you're not well enough or don't feel like it, you just rise up and you get on with the job. I remember as a boy once, a teenage boy, I had a job on Saturday. I worked in a butcher's shop I had to clean the whole place from front to back. And this morning I woke up and I said, Mum, 
I'm not well. And she said, just lay down there in a minute, I'll get you some breakfast. My mum was steely, steely. She gave me tea and some toast. Now she said, get up and go to work. I thought, you cruel, cruel, wicked, wicked woman. <laughs> she says, don't worry. She says, once you get there, it will all go. You'll be tough. I did what she said. She was right. Whatever it was that had descended upon me had the good sense to get off. <laughs> Maybe my mum was praying somewhere. I don't know. My mum was steel. Steel deaf, wasn't she? She was a steel woman. We need steel in Christians. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need steel in Christians. Steel. The steel that comes from obedience to what God requires of us to do. Wishy-washy Christians get wishy-washed away. But we are not of them. We are the ones who stand firm because we desire to be obedient to him. He's on the cross. He's been hanging there for six hours. From nine in the morning till three in the afternoon. There has been a number of dialogues going on with different people that Jesus has entered into. It says in the ninth hour, he cries out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It sounds like a cry of despair, desperation, abandonment, rejection, hopelessness. It was none of these. You say, but it's so obvious on the page. No, it's not. No, it's not so obvious. Because the Jesus I know, I love, I serve, I read about, would not have cried out in despair on the cross. There was far much to him than that. And that's why we worship and love him and save him. Because of all men that walked upon the planet, he was made of steel on the inside. Not a man to be full of despair and anguish. No way, no way. If you would believe that, you have done an insult to Christ. Stop thinking like that. He had committed himself to a path of obedience that he would go to the very end. He took the wine We've got it somewhere, and it says, drink ye all of it. Remember that verse? And the good old Anglican vicars, they drink all of it, don't they? God bless them. They're not talking about drinking it all. It's about going to the limit of one's obedience until the answer is produced in front of you. He bears the sin of the whole world. 
He bears your sin and my sin and the sins you keep committing. He's bearing them constantly in his body at that moment on the tree. And in his obedience, for the first time, he goes beyond the touch of his father. He goes, he goes beyond the reach of his father. He goes, he goes beyond the gaze of his father because of his obedience. And he's never been there before. He tasted death beyond the touch of God, beyond the, the gaze of God, beyond the fellowship of God. That's where he was now. That's where his obedience took him. And he goes, God, I've never been here before. It is as though I am abandoned. And so he is tasting death that you will never have to taste the abandonment of God. That is, unless you are not born again this morning and you move into a lost eternity where you will taste death for yourself. But I will never taste death because Christ, he tasted it for me. To expunge all the sin in your life he had to go beyond the fellowship of his father yes love motivated him yes love motivated him first the love of the father the love for his father the love he had for you but it was obedience that carried him through obedience the father knew he knew his son. He knew that he would go to a place where he couldn't touch him. Where his, his fellowship would be broken with him. And his gaze, he would not apprehend it. And God was prepared for it to happen. See, Jesus had no choice. <coughs> Will you go the whole way? Will you go the whole way? Are you in this for the long haul? Are you submitted to be obedient to God, whatever? Obedient to his son, whatever, whatever? Jesus loves our songs. Do you know that? I love them. Well, I don't love all of them, got to be honest. I love the sentiment. I don't always love all the songs. But if our love starts and stops at a song, that's no good, folks. Now, don't stop singing because I've said that. Sing more. But you don't know what I'm saying, don't you? Love is about obedience. About obedience to what he's called us to do. From the very first to the very last, 
Jesus made himself obedient. And because he was obedient, it said that God raised him, raised him, raised him, raised him, and sat him at his own right hand in glory and gave to him all authority and power and dominion forever and ever and ever and ever. And you know why? Because he was obedient even unto death. That's what it says in Philippians. Obedient even unto death. Therefore God highly exalted him to the highest place. And apparently through faith in Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we this morning are seated in heavenly places with Christ. How does that grab you? <laughs> I tell you, it's something else, isn't it? I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ. And if there's anything that's going to rub off Christ onto me, it is that I will seek to be as obedient as he was. Because in obedience, there is blessing. It's simple, isn't it? Thank you, Jesus, for being obedient. Thank you for going to the cross and going where no man has ever gone before beyond the touch and the gaze of the Father. Tasted death, gone into the tomb and been raised and now seated on the right hand of God. Are you surprised we make a lot of noise? Are you surprised? Now, you're very kind to me. When I stop preaching, you very politely clap. You're not going to do that this morning. You're going to clap Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this. You're clapping Jesus. If I see anyone stop within a minute, I'm coming for you. Because he deserves the biggest clap, the biggest hollowoo, the biggest shouting, the biggest hallelujah, the biggest praise the Lord, because of who he is and what he's done. On your feet. Come on. Let's praise him. Praise him. Worship him. On your feet. Praise you. 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 We worship Jesus. Precious name, Lord Jesus. Thank you, 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 Jesus. Praise you, praise you, praise you. Amen, amen, amen. Woo!